In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jake Johnson, and this is Untethered Live Bible Study on a Monday night. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Come in, have a seat. Make your way down the aisle and find your pew and kick back, kick your shoes off. Let's get ready to rock. Good to see everybody. Welcome to the show. I am not dead, but not far from it. Uh, I'm getting better. I was able to get up for a little while today and move around a little. That's good. Fever broke this morning. So uh, I think another couple days and I'll be right as rain. Although I am quite stopped up and I sound like a Kermit the Frog. I got a frog in my throat, literally. But uh, I'm alive. That's a good thing. Still got a splitting headache. That ain't going away for three days. That's a pain, but uh, the body aches are gone. The sense of loss of smell and taste is gone. The fever is gone, so that means that I'm on the mend. I kicked its ass. Victorious, I rise from the ashes. Hey, April, Fab Daddy, MVTV. Good to see everybody. Hope you all are doing quite well. Am I feeling any better? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I am. I'm getting there. Still don't have a lot of energy, but I've been down for four days, so it's going to take me a minute to get back on my feet. Jake, I love you. I love you too, honey. Thank you. Thank you for thinking about me. And um, Fab Daddy, thank you for checking up on me. Kevin says hi, everyone. Hi, Kevin. We got us some good reading to do tonight. We're in the great book of Numbers still. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 41. That's where we left off. That's where we'll pick up. As I enjoy this nice hot cup of coffee. Chicken maroons and tuna fish. What's a chicken maroon? Chicharro? I don't even know what that word is. Tuna fish sandwiches for dinner. What is a chicharro? Chicaroni. Is that like macaroni but with chicken? I don't know. That's a word that's beyond me. It's one of them northern things, I think. Fried pork skins. Oh, okay. Ain't, ain't nothing wrong with fried pork skins. I like those. 
I didn't know that's what they were called, though. I usually get mine straight out of the uh, fryer. You know, they sell the little pellets at the flea market or whatever. There's little little circular pellets about that big. They look like rabbit pellets, like rabbit shit. And you throw them in a deep fryer, and they puff up, and they become pork skins. And they're pretty good. Hey, Kevin and I are going to meet some people, a client for his, of his for dinner, so I won't be able to moderate. So I'll rewatch this, but I'll let you know when I turn it off, okay? Okay, I understand. I'll handle it. Thank you for letting me know. Fab Days, I mean, uh, uh, MVTV's here. Uh... Maybe the other guy show up. Or Caucasian. I'm listening, though, right now. You're welcome. I do apologize for the voice. It's all I can do to talk. But I'm here, and that's what's important. I got you back. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Orb Puff, welcome back. And hello. It's a lovely day outside today. It's warmed up a little bit. It's nice to be able to go outside without three layers of clothes on. I was able to go out and pay my power bill this afternoon. That was an important move. Uh, the first day I was able to ride my bike because the day before my head was splitting so bad that I couldn't hold my eyes open enough to ride it. And uh, that would have been dangerous. So the headache has diminished, but it's still there. It's like it's trying to push my eyes out of my skull. Whatever's causing that, I don't know if it's brain swelling or tension or whatever it is. I don't like it, but uh, uh, aspirin won't touch it. Tylenol won't touch it. Painkillers won't touch it. A sledgehammer won't touch it. So I'm guessing I'm just going to have to deal with it until it's gone. You know what I haven't tried, though? Binding my head. I heard that in a song. I wonder if that works. You ever heard of that, binding your head to get rid of that migraine? Like wrapping a belt around your head and pulling it as tight as you can till your brain's about to squeeze out of your ear. Marijuana might help. Well, if I smoked marijuana, that'd be one thing. But I don't, so I can't say that'll help. And if I smoked marijuana, you would not like me very much. I go very in inward. My inner monologue goes up real loud. It's the only thing I can hear is myself thinking. And I get very quiet and very suspicious. And I think everybody can hear my thoughts. So I get paranoid. And I end up sitting on the couch staring at people for four or five hours. It's not fun. I don't enjoy that. You doubt that? <laughs> Could be blood pressure. Well, I imagine it's 
tied to the COVID, you know. I imagine that's what caused it. That's when it started, so I imagine that's what did it. But what apparatus caused it, I don't know, but it's there. <laughs> and it hasn't subsided. Everything else has, though, all my other symptoms other than being stuffed up. And that's just because you got to get that stuff out. Pressure helps. Yeah, I think I'm going to try binding my head tonight. I heard that in an old country song called Knoxville Girl. I don't recommend you listen to it. It's quite morbid. But if you're just curious, look it up. It's called Knoxville Girl, and it'll blow your mind that people thought like that in those days. Somebody wrote that song is what I'm saying, and that person should probably be arrested. Stop thinking. I can't stop thinking. My brain don't shut off, honey, not even when I'm asleep. I'm thinking when I'm asleep. So I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I heard if you let your nuts freeze, it helps. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think that would be worse. Let your inner self warm. Let your inner self warm you, but not burn you. Interesting. Well, my brain's been going 100 miles an hour since the day I was born, and it ain't stopped yet. Ice pack the jewels. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that one. That don't sound fun. Sounds painful. I'm in enough pain. Thank you. All right. Let's do some reading, shall we? You guys ready? If you got your Bibles handy, crack it open to the book of Numbers, chapter four, uh, chapter 16, verse 41. Let's go down, shall we? Look at there. In the middle of making a plushie. Really? You make plushies? That's awesome. I want a plushie. Can you make one of me? Look at this handsome mug. Doesn't that just scream plushie? Uh, uh, um, Critical Drinker has a plushie. I don't know why I can't have one. Maybe he's more handsome than I am. Who knows? Um, um, music. Takes your mind off your headache. Oh, I don't want to listen to any music, honey. I'm not, I'm not talking about a regular headache. I'm talking about pushing the eyes out of my skull headache. I'm talking about the sound, the thought of the sound of music makes my brain hurt. Ice pack in my neck might help. I haven't done that, but I have thought about it. Oh, what kind? What kind of plushie are you making, or buff? Oh, thank you. Well, if you decide you want to do something like that, just shoot me an email and I'll send you my address. And you can send it this way and I'll advertise it for you. Let me give you my email address. Just a second. 
There you go. Come back up here. There it is on top there. It's untethered live stream at gmail.com. <coughs> you got it? Good. We'll come back. Make an Elvis one. Ooh, jackpot. Is that what you're making, an Elvis plushie? I scared a channel with my presence today. Did you really? Which channel? And what did you do to scare them? I'm proud of you, by the way. You should get some of those people to come over here. Do what, Fab Daddy? Do what Fab Daddy said. Ha-ha. Hmm. I'm not icing my nuts, but thank you. Tony is a sky watcher. Okay. Interesting. Is that one of those looking for UFOs? Too funny, Fab Daddy. Jackpot. Half bunny, half deer. Oh! Jackalope. I see. You didn't spell it right. I just didn't read it right. I can't see very well, so it just looked like jackpot to me. But I see what you're saying now. Jackalope. Yes. Uh, mythical creature uh, made up in something in the 70s, 60s. Julie, welcome to the show, sweetheart. Glad you could drop in. We're just getting ready to get started. We're in the book of Numbers, 1641. I have dyslexia. I think I might, too, because I read things backwards often. I don't see it backwards. It just comes out when I'm reading. It comes out backwards sometimes. I'll read the last line and then the first line. Maybe it's just because I'm reading too fast. Who knows? Anyway, dyslexia is nothing to uh, make a joke about. But it does have an L in it. <laughs> April says, I'm rolling laughing. Hi, Julie. Good to see you. All right, here we go. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. No, you have killed the people of the Lord. Moses and Aaron are doing what they're told. And it came to pass, when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron, they looked towards the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. God's done told you about this once. He's already swallowed up a group of people with the earth. Are you really going to take this route? Did you not learn anything yesterday? And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer, put fire therein from off the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly 
unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. This is not good. God does not take kindly to murmurings and backbiting and and, uh, talking trash. He likes calm, directed, straightforward people. He likes righteousness. He likes certainty. People often accuse me of being too confident, but I'm not. I'm just certain in what I'm talking about. And I try to live that way, and it may be a flaw of my character, but I think it's more valuable to be certain rather than to be wishy-washy. I think in the long run, people will appreciate that they can trust what I say, and they know that when I say it, I mean it. I think that's more valuable than me being a flip-flopper or being wishy-washy or not being able to make up my mind about something or whatever. I think in the long run, that, that matters more. Maybe I'm just obsessive-compulsive about the whole thing, but I think that's what the idea is here. God wants his people to be fixed on what's going on, to be focused on the direction they're headed. And these people are not. They are anything but. They want to go back to Egypt and be slaves again because at least they got fed well. Think about that for a minute. It's probably why they don't get any reparation talk. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Calm down. I think to admit fault makes us human. That's right, Fab Daddy. But you got to be at fault to admit it. And Aaron took. Excuse me. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed. Well, thank God for one guy who's certain about what he's doing. He managed to stop the plague in its tracks when it could have consumed them all. Now they that died in the plague were 14,700 besides them that died about the matter of Korah, which was yesterday when the earth swallowed them up. So they're losing people left and right here. There's a lot of people going out. I thought I made a mistake one time, Fab Daddy, but it turns out I was incorrect. (laughs) You know I'm pushing your buttons, right? It may not come across very well in this current state, but I'm joking with you. And Aaron returned unto Moses, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague was stayed. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. That's one rod for every tribe. Write thou every man's name upon his rod, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. Remember, Aaron is not a Levite, but he is conscripted the Levites into his family. They're basically given to him. 
So by proxy, he becomes a Levite, thereby making all the Levites from the head Aaron all the way through the tribe of Levi. So the, those, those are the people who are the priests and the, the people that work in the congregation. <laughs> are you the best welder in the entire world? It's okay to say that, but you got to be able to back it up. That's the difference between certainty and arrogance. I am not the best at anything in the world, but I'm good at what I do, and I'm good enough at it to be certain that I'm good at it and to be sure about the things that I teach. Because if I weren't, I wouldn't make a very good teacher, and you wouldn't be able to trust what I was telling you. I hope that after four years of doing this, that I've earned enough rapport with my audience and they've checked me out enough times to know that I'm right about what I'm teaching or at least on the right path. And there is a possibility of me being wrong and I say that all the time. And when I'm wrong, I correct it immediately. But you're going to have to fight for it. I'm not just going to give up what I believe because I believe what I'm teaching. So if I say something that's wrong... Call me out on it by all means. Don't listen to any man, not this one, not anyone. Listen to God, because he don't make mistakes. He doesn't err. But if I happen to say something that's not correct, I don't want that to stand either, because my job is to make sure that the right teaching goes out, and that when people find my videos, they can trust them. So if that occurs and you catch it by all means call me out on it and show me don't just say you're wrong show me where i'm wrong and i'll fix it otherwise i'll show you where i'm not wrong and you'll back down because that's how that works it's a give and take we're all in this together and this is not just my podcast this is yours too this is for everybody you know what i'm saying don't mistake my certainty for arrogance. It's not. I'm the most self-loathing person you'll ever meet. I am not arrogant. That's a misnomer. People get the wrong word associated with me. Cocky, maybe. I'll give you that one. But not arrogant. All right. So we're talking about Levites. For one rod shall be for the head of the household of their fathers. Now, Aaron has become, by proxy, the head of the household of, of uh, Levi. Why they did it that way, I can only uh, posit a guess because they never tell you why, other than when Moses was picked by God to deliver the message, Moses didn't want to do it because he couldn't talk very well. He wasn't a very certain man. But Aaron was. Aaron's his brother. So God said, well, take your brother and let him do the talking for you. You deliver the message, but let Aaron speak it. And his confidence can get across the message better than your confidence can. Because confidence is everything when delivering a message. If you can't be trusted when you say something, nobody's going to follow you. You see what I'm saying? 
Mr. Bean, G.A.W., welcome to the show. I didn't mean to ignore you there. I saw you pop in. Just had my mind on something. Welcome. I hope you're doing well. So now they've got a rod for every one of the 12 tribes and their names inscript, inscribed on each rod. We're talking about a staff here. And thou shalt lay them upon the tabernacle. Sorry. Thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. God himself is going to meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom. And I will make to cease from all the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. So God's going to put an end to this right now. He's going to tell the people who's the chosen one here. So we've got 12 tribes, 12 rods, all in the tabernacle, and God's going to make one of them bloom. Now these are dead sticks. They've been carved into walking staves. They hadn't been a tree forever. So the fact that one of them could bloom is impossible. They're dead, right? So this this is God performing a little miracle here, bringing this dead limb back to life enough to blossom, to bloom. Incidentally, this rod will end up inside of the Ark of the Covenant with a bowl of manna and the Ten Commandments. Those are the three items that are inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, not at this time, though. But this is where it starts. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. For each prince, one according to their father's houses, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. This is the same rod, by the way, that was cast on the floor and became a snake and ate up all the little snakes that were made by the Magi in, in Egypt when they were trying to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And Pharaoh said, what are these tricks that you're doing? My people can do these tricks too. So Aaron threw down his rod and it turned into a snake. So the magicians fooled around a little while and they figured out a trick to make it look like one of their rods turned into snakes. So they threw down their rods and they all turned into snakes, a bunch of them. I don't know how many, but more than one. But while they were talking, Aaron's snake ate up all the other snakes and then turned back into a rod. So that's the difference. Their thing was a trick. God literally turned that rod into a serpent. That wasn't a trick. So that's the difference between a, uh, uh, a, a magic trick and a miracle. I guess the difference would be the power involved. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of a witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Isn't that something? It didn't just 
leaf. It made fruit or nuts, almonds. And Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel. And they looked and took every man his rod. And the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me. And they die not, that they die not. So, in other words, now you know, so shut your mouth or I'm going to kill you. Period. That's pretty specific from God. Put the rod in the Ark of the Covenant as a token so that you can be reminded to keep your mouth shut when you don't know what's going on. This is a lesson that can be had for all people, by the way. Hence the reason I brought up the arrogance thing earlier. This is the conclusion of that thought process. <laughs> it's not for everybody to know everything. From the beginning of time until now, there has always been a teacher and a pupil. You can't be both. You can't have too many chiefs and not enough Indians. There's one guy that runs the flock, and there's other people that are the flock. You understand? If everybody knows everything, there's no need to learn anything. There's no need to improve anything. There's no need to bear witness to anything. There's no need to educate anyone because everybody knows it all. Well, here's the thing. If you don't, if you're one of those people that don't know it all, if you're not certain, if you're not sure, you need to keep your mouth shut because you can't hear when your mouth is opened. And that's a fact. You can believe it or let it alone. This bears out in every concept regardless across the world. You cannot hear when your mouth is opened. And if you're not sure, you need to be hearing because that's what makes you sure. You learn by hearing and by doing. You learn by example. You learn by osmosis. You learn by process of elimination. You can't do those things if you're too busy yapping. Because the only thing happening is you yapping. And at the end of the day, that's all you're left with is what you were yapping about. Does that make you better? Does that enlighten you as a human being? No, it does not. Furthermore, if you come across a person that is certain about what they know, how do you propose they got that way? You think they just woke up one day and decided, hey, I'm going to be the guy now. It's not that easy. Oftentimes, and in this case, it's taken 35 years of constant study, constant digging, constant questioning, constant reproving the method, coming up with theories, coming up with ideas, trying to falsify what I think I know, not trying to search for evidence for what I think I know, but trying to falsify what I think I know to eliminate it. Because that's what science is. And when you do that, you don't have much time for anything else. 
you pretty much spend your whole life in a book, in a dark room, dusty, smoky room, reading. It's a boring, miserable existence. But you emerge on the other side with a little bit of confidence. It's the same thing as if being a guitar player. I didn't just become a good guitar player. I spent many, many years playing the guitar. It's learned by rote, by doing it. I learned a lot of things over the years. I learned a lot of techniques. I learned a lot of uh, skills, a lot of tricks, a lot of things to put in my little bag. You don't just acquire those things. You learn them over time. It takes time. There's no secret. There's no magic. It's time. It's, it takes 10,000 hours to be good at something. 10,000 hours is a long time. It's a lot of practice. It's a lot of work. And that's for anything. If you want to be a surgeon, you got to put 10,000 hours in. That's why you go to med school, and then you go to a, a hospital and do a residency, and you work round the clock, and then you get to be an understudy, and then you get to be a doctor. This is like 16 years in. you got to be able... That's right, Fab Daddy. We do learn from each other. But where does that knowledge come from? At some point, one of the other has to be the teacher and the other has to be the pupil. You're arguing against the choir here. If you learn from each other, are you saying that you're both the teacher? That's a double negative. You cancel yourself out. It's more accurate to say that you learn from each other one at a time. You see the error of one person and you learn from it. Then that person sees your errors and they learn from it. Can't do it at the same time. It's not possible. So do you, you, you understand what I'm trying to picture here? I'm using myself as an example because I'm the only person that I have to talk about. But we're talking about what God is doing to the people of Israel at this moment. He's trying to instruct them in the ways of listening. And that's what I'm trying to illustrate. I may not be doing a good job of it, but I'm trying to illustrate that listening is important. Because without listening, you can't have understanding. And without understanding, you're lost in the woods. And that's not going to get you anywhere. Now, Moses did so as the Lord commanded, so he did. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. He's doing the same thing. Look at us. We're dying out here. Well, no, because you've got God on your side. You're not going to die. You got God. He's here, literally, in the tabernacle talking to you. Do you think he's going to let you die? Or do you think you might be a little overbearing right now? Might be a little precious poor me, little fancy pants, worried about your little uh, steak that you ain't got. That's what they're doing. They're not in any danger of dying. God's been feeding them for, since he took them out of Egypt on a daily basis. 
whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of your priesthood. Meaning, it's your job to teach these people when they fail, it's your fault. That's what that means. Now, I will elucidate a little further for the sake of clarity. God chose Aaron to be the priest. The priest doesn't choose himself. The priest is put on the path, the preacher, the pastor, the teacher. They're put on the path. They didn't choose it. It's not a job anybody really wants. But with that job comes great responsibility. Because if your flock fails, that's on you. It's not on them. You understand? If it's my job to teach a flock the word of God, and I fail to do so, and that flock then goes out and sins and falls into a world of decay and uh, ends up being atheists, then I failed. I didn't make the, the, the message clear enough. I didn't articulate properly. Well, unfortunately for me, I'm going to get punished for that because I took on the role. It's my job to make it right. And it's a very serious job. That's what he's saying here to Aaron. You are the high priest. And your sons are the priests under you. And it's your job to keep these people in the right path. To keep them understanding who God is. To keep them understanding why we're out here in the desert. Why we were removed from Egypt. And if you fail to do so, you'll bear the iniquity of the sanctuary. And your sons will bear their iniquity of the priesthood. Because they're the priests. And thy brethren also of the tribe of Levi. Those are all in the priesthood. Or they work in the tabernacle of some fashion. The tribe of thy father. Bring thou with thee. That they may be joined unto thee. And minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee. Shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. This is people learning from each other, like you suggested earlier. The uh, fathers will minister unto the sons, but the sons will minister unto the congregation. That's learning from their elders and then passing that knowledge on to their subordinates or their pupils or their flock, however you want to put it. There's no shame in being that. There's no weakness in being that. I've been a pupil most of my life, one manner or another. I'm a pupil right now. I'm learning every day. That's actually a high position to take. If you don't have that, you're not really doing anything. You're wasting your time. Because you only have one life. And it's your job in this life to better yourself as a human being while you're here. To leave the world a better place than when you got here to uh, evolve mentally, 
that's what people are here to do. So you have to become a pupil at some point or you're uh, not going to make it. We all have something to learn and something to teach. Even someone who teaches could have something to learn from someone else, even from the person they are imparting their knowledge to. Absolutely correct. That is correct. That being said, you can add to that that there's a time and a place for everything. <coughs> and they shall keep the charge, or they shall keep thy charge, and the charge of all the tabernacle. Only they shall not come near the vessels of the, tab of the sanctuary and the altar, that neither they nor ye also die. So they're not allowed to go near the, um, the, uh, I can't, all I can think of is furniture. That's not the word I'm looking for. The utensils, the vessels, the things that operate the tabernacle, they're not allowed to go near that. And they shall be joined unto thee and keep the charge of the tabernacle of the congregation for all the service of the tabernacle, and a stranger shall not come near unto you. So they have to keep themselves separate while they're doing this job. Separate for a reason, because outside information corrupts the inside information that they're gaining. This is called indoctrination. You can look at this as many different ways, but basically it's allowing an outside influence when you're learning something to corrupt the thing that you're learning by introducing information that's contrary to the thing you're learning. This happens all the time. It's happening currently. You have to be careful of that. You have to be vigilant of it. You have to be aware of it. You have to know your place. That's why it's important to understand this delineation of thought, which is why I'm taking so much time to describe it. And ye shall keep the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar, that there be no wrath any more upon the children of Israel. This time of murmuring is over. You've had your say. You've made your complaints. Now it's time to be quiet and pay attention. And I, behold, I have taken you, brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. I've separated the Levites from the rest of them. To you they are given as a gift of the Lord, that's to Aaron, to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So that's all you're going to get. They were given as a gift to Aaron to work in the tabernacle. So he, by, by the act of the gift given by God, becomes the head of the Levites. Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar. And within the veil, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is, and ye shall serve. Who do you serve? You have to have a master in this world. You have to serve something. Who do you serve? Have you asked yourself that question recently? Do you know the answer to that question? I would postulate 
you should probably have an answer to that question. It's a very important question. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift. And the stranger that cometh near shall be put to death. Nobody's allowed to come near this. This is yours. Nobody else's. <coughs> and the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. Meaning, you get this special portion of the sacrifices to eat. That you always get your part up front before everybody else gets in and takes what's left over. You get the first pick of this special part, which is the shoulder and and I believe the right leg or whatever, but definitely the shoulder, which is the good meat, basically. So because they work in the tabernacle, because they don't get the inheritance of land that everybody else gets, because they're conscripted into service from day one, they get certain perks. For example, in every city, in the promised land, when the promised land is set up and all the tribes have received their inheritances and they've all built cities and their uh, appropriate portions of land, in every city there's a sanctuary area for Levites that they just get to go to for free. They get to live there for free. They can travel between cities, do whatever they want to do, go wherever they want to go for free. That's a perk because they don't have any land. They didn't get any. For example, they get the best meat up front before anybody else gets to eat of the sacrifices because they are in service of the rest of the people. So these little perks add up over time. They get a certain portion of the money that comes in because of their service. Service is very important. It's probably the most noble of all jobs. This shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. So they get the best meat all the time up front before anybody else gets it theirs. That's pretty special. That means they're always going to be fat and happy and full. In the most holy place shalt thou eat it. Every male shall eat it, and it shall be holy unto thee. And this is thine, the heave offering of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee, and to thy sons and to thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. Every one that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. And all the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them I have given thee. What a perk. Everybody else will be jealous of the meal they're going to receive on a daily basis. You think they're starving to death? I don't think so. 
they're in no danger of dying in the desert, even though they're complaining about dying in the desert. And whatsoever is the first ripe in the land which they shall bring unto the Lord shall be thine. Everyone that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. Everything that openeth the matrix in all the flesh, which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beasts, shall be thine. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem. That's mine, says God. The firstborn of every male is mine. And the first fruit of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem according to thine estimation for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. Now that clears it up. But the firstling of a cow, or the firstling of a sheep, or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar, and shalt burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. These are special animals, but it's because they got the best meat. As my estimation, anyway. And the flesh of them that shall be thine, sorry, and the flesh of them shall be thine, so they get to eat the meat after they do this, the blood sprinkling. As the wave beast and as the right shoulder are thine. So they get that on top of the wave offerings and the sin offerings and the, the trespass offerings and on and on and on. So these guys are stacked. They don't have to worry about eating ever. They're good. Every, they have sacrifices every day. Their, their whole life is one big barbecue. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. A covenant of salt. That's akin to a Hebrew blood covenant. It's a promise that has weight behind it. You know, it has substance. It means something. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part in thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Think about what that means. They have a direct line to God, period. Nobody else does, but they do. That's their inheritance. Their inheritance is a kinship, a closeness with God that no one else enjoys. <laughs> Keeping in mind, they have all kinds of perks because they don't have an inheritance. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance. 
for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So they get a tenth of everything that comes into Israel, the first tenth of everything, before anybody else gets any of it. That's a big perk. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come near to the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. Hmm. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that among the children of Israel they have no inheritance. They have no inheritance because their inheritance is God. But by the same token, they have to bear the iniquity of the flock when they come to the tabernacle and bear sin. The children of Levi bear that iniquity. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. They get the tithes. Therefore I have said unto them among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Now, the next time somebody asks you, what does God need with money? Why does all preachers ask for money? Why do they pass the plate around? You can answer them, because here's the answer. God doesn't need the money. God created the money. He can create more if he wants it. But the people that serve do need the money. That's what the tithe is for. It says it right here. The tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an offering, a heave offering, I have given to the Levites to inherit. That's their money. It's for them. It's for their service. It's so they can keep serving. Because without them, the service doesn't get done. And if the service doesn't get done, then the people have the iniquity of their sin on their own backs, always. That's what the service is for, to instruct the people in the ways of the Lord so that they can go about their lives and live righteously. So they know right from wrong, so they know good from bad, so they know the rules and the regulations and the statutes and the the commandments and the judgments. So these people, these Levites, they take on all that work and they do it. And that's the only thing they do. They don't do anything else. And because of that, they're, re- re- they're uh, um, reimbursed, so to speak. They're, they make a paycheck on it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When ye take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then ye shall offer up an heave offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. So then the Levites, when they receive the money, they take a tenth of that money and put it back into the church. That's where that part comes from. If you're a member of the church, then you tithe 10%. 
That's where that 10% comes from. And now you know. And this is your heave offering. Sorry. And this, your heave offering, shall be reckoned unto you. And though it were the corn of a threshing floor, and as the fullness of the winepress. That's a roundabout way of saying there's a lot of it. Thus ye also shall offer and heave offering unto the Lord of all your tithes, which ye receive of the children of Israel, and ye shall give thereof the Lord's heave offering to Aaron the priest, who is the head of the church. So they take their 10% of all that tithe, they take 10% of it and give it to Aaron. So that's his money. Out of all your gifts, ye shall offer every heave offering of the Lord, of all the best thereof, even the hallowed part thereof out of it. Therefore thou shalt say unto them, When ye have heaved the best thereof from it, then it shall be counted unto the Levites as the increase of the threshing floor, and as the increase of the winepress. Again, count it up, and you got a lot of it. So you got to separate it, take the best of it, offer it up. And you shall eat it in every place, ye and your household. For it is your reward for your service in the tabernacle of the congregation. This is concerning the uh, part of the tithe that is food-oriented. It's not all about money. Some of it is the, the offerings. <laughs> and ye shall bear no sin by reason of it, when ye have heaved from it the best of it. Neither shall ye pollute the holy things of the children of Israel, lest ye die. You got to be careful how you handle this stuff. And you got to be good with, you got to use it for good. Because if you do sinful things with it, you're going to die from it. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without a spot, wherein there is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke, meaning it's never been used as a beast of burden. It's a young animal that is perfect, but it's never been bogged down. It's never been put to field. It is a fresh red heifer, female bovine and ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest that he may bring her forth without the camp and one shall slay her before his face and Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times and one shall burn the heifer in his sight her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung, 
shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. This is a way of anointing the tabernacle and making it holy. Remember, blood is the only thing at this time that can cover sin. And this is special blood for whatever reason. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening, because he touched a dead thing. That that rule hasn't changed. And he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe his flesh in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place, and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification of sin, or purification for sin. So that's the reason for doing this, is to purify this place of sin. For, and it's supposed to be kept that way. And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourn among them for a statute forever. He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean for seven days. He shall purify himself with it on the third day and on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify not himself the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whosoever toucheth the dead body of any man that is dead and purifieth not himself defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. This is a, a way of keeping the tabernacle pure. So if you go out into the world, and in those days it was common, uh, lots of people were dying back then, so it was common to touch dead people. You had to bury them somehow, you know. Or you might be involved in killing them. It might be a battle situation. Who knows? But you can't go into the tabernacle if you've touched a dead body because the tabernacle is pure. So you go to this place where the ashes of this pure heifer was burned and, and put into the water. And you take that water, which is now holy water, and you sprinkle it on yourself the third day, clean yourself off with it, and that purifies you. And then on the seventh day, you're clean. That's the amount of time it takes to get rid of any excess bacteria that may be on your flesh. And apparently the ashes of this heifer does something to the water that makes it help with that process. I don't know. And maybe it's just the act of being obedient. Either way, you can't go into the tabernacle if you're not clean. And if you do, you'll be cut off. This is the law. When a man dieth in a tent, all that come into the tent... And all that is in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. Every open vessel which hath no covering bound upon it is unclean. And whosoever toucheth 
one that is slain with the sword in the open fields, or a dead body, or the bone of a man, or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. <clears throat> so anywhere near dead bodies, even the grave that they're in, if you touch that, you're unclean too. Why? Because germs spread. That's how you get diseases. That's how plagues start. And in those days, it was very important to be aware of this because they didn't have antibacterial soap or bleach. And for an unclean person, they shall take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of the purification for sin and running water and shall be put thereto in a vessel. And a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon all the vessels and upon the persons that were there and upon him that toucheth a bone or one slain or one dead or a grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself and wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and shall be clean at evening. So this is a process. It takes a little time to clean yourself if you've been exposed to dead, dead things. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation, because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of separation hath not been sprinkled upon him. He is unclean, spoken with certainty. And it shall be a perpetual statute unto them that he that sprinkleth the water of the separation shall wash his clothes. And he that toucheth the water of separation shall be unclean until evening. And whatsoever the unclean person toucheth shall be unclean. And the soul that toucheth it shall be unclean until evening. And then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. That would be April. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Here we go again. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our, when our brethren died before the Lord? Yeah, if only. And why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into, the wild, into this wilderness, that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And that's where we're going to stop for today. We'll pick up next Sunday on 20 verse 6. Man. I found that to be fascinating. I hope you did too. I hope it touched you. I hope it caused you to think. I hope it 
provoked you to consider some things and concern yourself with the ideas that we discussed tonight. Won't you do me a favor and hit that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online. Smash that like button. It's free. It's right in front of you. It takes no effort at all, and it really does help the channel with the algorithms. Share this video with somebody you love. Better yet, share it with somebody you don't love. Bring them into the family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave comments down below and let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform with me, drink my Kool-Aid, make your own Kool-Aid. As long as you're thinking critical, that's what I want. Critical thought coming from that brain of yours. And hey, if you dig the Word of God and you can see the value of what I'm trying to build and you'd like to help out, you'd like to be part of something special, you'd like to contribute or send your tithes, offerings, or love offerings, or if you'd just like to pat me on the back and say, nice job, Jake, I got your back, you can do that. You can support my work by going to paypal.me slash Jake Johnson Band. Or if you're a Cash App user, you can go to this dollar sign, Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a win-win. It's a blessing for me. It's a blessing for you, too, because God notices these things. Now, I will do everything in my power to be worthy of your support. And I will round out this video by taking your questions and comments. How about that? Now the answer to who is hanging faithfully into the end, or is it whom? If it's just you, it's who. If it's presumptually just you, it's whom. I think I scared them all off this time. It's tough. It ain't easy being cheesy. It's kind of hard to be serious when you're sick. My number shows one, now two. That's what mine show. That's all right. It ain't for everybody. Everybody can't take the message, and sometimes they just get bored, especially in books like this when it's just repetitive. I understand. They'll be back. Might have just been an off night. Yeah, I still get good views after the fact. That's correct. And I'm here, regardless of how I feel, because it's my job to be. And I, I love you guys, and I wouldn't want to miss this for anything. And I hope you feel the same way. Although I would not ask you to be here if you were sick as I was. But thank you for being here. And I love you for it. Do you have any questions about what we read tonight? Any uh, curiosities or comments or criticisms? I always ask. Everybody thinks that I always think I'm right, but I always ask for criticisms, and nobody ever says anything, so. 
Go figure. I was lurking in the background, only ten minutes late, dealing with some coyotes getting loose, getting close. Ah. Them coyotes are something else, man. They'll try anything, and they're smart, too. They'll straight honey trap your, your uh, animal. <coughs> They'll honey pot you. I've seen them do it. I've seen them convince animals to jump the fence. Like, come on, come play with us. No, really, it's just a couple of guys down the street. Let's go play. Oh, okay. Jump the fence. And they eat them up. It's crazy. I'd say I'd rather be a Levite with all the perks versus having one plot of land. Well, it was a big plot of land, but I believe you're right. I think I'd rather be a Levite, too. A lot of perks. And a direct line to God, which has got to be special. I think you're right about that. But we're talking about a plot of land big enough to build a city on, so it's a pretty big piece of land. And they don't make no more land, so if you got that, you got it forever. Unless you're dumb enough to sell it. And I say if you're smart enough to gain land, don't be dumb enough to sell it, ever. Very rare to see tracks near here, very loud across the valley. Unlike people coming into their territory, humans here almost always shoot at them, so they're more cautious. Yeah. Yeah, the ones around here stay off in the distance, too. They don't ever come up close unless they're sneaking in. I hear them every now and then, but there ain't, they ain't very many of them around here. Pardon me for just a minute. I got to go talk to a guy about a horse. I'll be right back.
Sorry about that. That took longer than expected. Oh, are you still with me? He gads. I see in the reflection that you have to use one of those circular lights. Two of them, actually. Keep thinking natural light is enough. Nope. Must be trying at times to have those glaring in your face, always. I got one right here, and one right there, and one right there, and one right there. All that makes me look evenly lit for the most part, but I still have shadows. And it's because I'm up against a wall. If I need, I need to pull out some. I am not finished remodeling this room yet, so... When I get there, I'll have it set up where the lights are in front of me and over me. And it'll be better. <coughs> and they're also hot, by the way. They'll put off a little heat. On the other hand, this means you are not half green as I thought. Aha! Do I look green to you? What about now? How about that? Add a little purple. I got all the spectrum. I can even make it strobe. Or run around in circles like a siren. I have nothing to add. Still gaining tons of education each time. Thank you, sir. You showed up. You did a good job again. So cut yourself loose and go relax. Well, I plan to. I got... A couple more minutes. Well, I might do it now. Hello? Hey. hey. Well, let me get off the podcast and I will. Mm. All, right, bye. All right, bye. Never learn. A very light tent and stretch it and stretching it for a joke. I got you. The light we see is pretty soft and not glaring. I'm trying to keep it even as I can. I got this little spot on my forehead here I ain't crazy about. And that's just that color though, I think. That's better. It's kind of hard to make it right. And then I got to be very precarious with where I put the lights because I wear glasses and it look like this all the time. Yeah. So if I want people to look me in the eyes, I got to put my lights in places that don't completely wash out my glasses. Well, I hate that everybody bailed. I guess they couldn't handle that arrogance talk. Nobody likes to be told they're a pupil, I guess. I'm not excluding myself from that comment. I'm just say, stating a fact. 
I have glasses, too. People don't realize they change things up a lot. Yes, they do. They make a lot of things different. For example, reading the chat. If I don't have my glasses on, there ain't no hope. I can't read nothing. I can't even teach from my Bible because I can't read it. Because it's so tiny that I have to really focus on it, which means I can't read fluidly. The only way I can do it is to have really big print in front of me, right directly in front of me, in front of the camera. So I have to use a digital Bible. I've got a great leather-bound Bible with my name inscribed on it in gold and everything, yeah, leather-bound. It's wonderful, but I can't use it because I can't read it. Did things get touchy in chat? I was reading, I was listening mostly. Did things get touchy in chat? Not judging anything. I felt a little tension when I started talking about arrogance and teaching and the job of a pastor to teach the flock. But I was doing that to illustrate what the Bible was talking about. I was using myself in as, as an example because I'm the only one I got to use as an example. But, uh, God was basically telling the children of Israel who were complaining about their situation, whining about not having enough to eat and, you know, just general murmuring, all but getting ready to war against Moses because he wasn't taking good enough care of them. And uh, God says, well, maybe you should shut the hell up and pay attention. For starters... I'm God, and I'm right here with you, literally, in the camp with you. Do you think you're going to starve to death? No. Second of all, you're being re-educated. That's why we're here in the desert. Took you out of Egypt so that I could retrain you into the ways of your religion because you've all but forgotten it. And so I compared that to my job, which is to teach the Word of God. And one of the things that preachers or held to a responsibility because if you take on that job and it's not one you, you ask for, I, I didn't ask for this job. It was given to me. It was appointed to me. And uh, they didn't ask for it either. The The Levites were conscripted into being the priests, the, the people that did the work in the tabernacle, the teachers. If you fail to teach the word of God to your flock, then that's on you. Whatever they do is visited on you because you're the teacher. It's your job to make sure they know right from wrong. That's a very serious job description, and I take it very seriously. And I don't think some people are prepared to understand that dichotomy, especially in this setting. It's not like they came to my church or anything, you know. But that is what's going on here, for lack of a better way of describing it. They come here, and I teach, and they either learn or they don't. And if they don't, that's on me, because I didn't do it well enough. I think the thing that started the tension was, I, I was, um, I brought up the fact that people have questioned me a few times, you know, kind of bite back on what I'm saying, which I ask for. I ask every podcast for criticism. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform with me, you know, 
drink my Kool-Aid or make your own Kool-Aid. That's what I say every podcast. Well, sometimes they do that. They backbite on me. They push back. Say things like, well, we learn from each other. Well, if that's the case, then why aren't I watching your podcast? You're watching my podcast because you're learning what I'm telling you. Or you're getting something out of it or you wouldn't be coming back. So what I said was, don't mistake what I do as arrogance because it's not. It's certainty, but it's not arrogance. This is referring back to something that was said last week about me being certain of myself. You know, must be nice to be so sure of yourself or something. It may even been you that said it. I was referring to that comment. I can't remember who said it, but it was said. <laughs> and I said, don't mistake that for arrogance because it's not arrogance. I'm not walking around beating myself on the chest saying I know everything because I don't. But I am certain about what I do, what I know, what I've spent the time to learn. I am certain about that, and I believe it, which is more specifically, and you want it that way. Because if I didn't believe it, why would you trust it? You know, if I weren't correct on what I was saying, why would you trust me? I wouldn't trust me. I wouldn't trust anybody that wasn't certain if they're wishy-washy, you know. I know people like that. They can't make up their mind for nothing. They go back and forth. That's not a good way to think. It's not a good way to present yourself. I may be guilty of being too certain. That's possible. But it's only because I believe what I'm teaching. And it's because I've accepted the role of teacher. Whether that's good or bad, whether anybody asked for that or not, is irrelevant. That's just who I am. And if you get something out of being with me, then by all means, get it and, and run with it. But don't mistake the fact that it it's coming in that way. And then I said something to the effect of, because regardless of whatever you can call it, what God is saying here is you can't hear when your mouth is opened. And that's true across the board, no matter which allegory you put it in. You cannot hear when your mouth is opened. So you need to zip it, pay attention. That's what God's telling the children of Israel. So it's a two-way conversation that's going on there. And I think it kind of scared them off. We'll see. Depends on what they say next, I guess. Also, keep in mind I'm sick, so my tact isn't exactly up to par. So I probably said it wrong. Personal experiences will color reception plus no accounting for moods either. Yeah, I'm a perfect example of that, right? Here's Fab Daddy. He didn't leave. I'm still here. I'm just zipping it. <laughs> I didn't mean you personally. Again, it's allegories of what we were reading about. That's what raised my head when you spoke of not taking one person's word for anything, especially yours. Yeah, don't listen to any man, not even me. You let me guide you, sure, but you listen to God. God's words are correct. I'm just trying to interpret them. I'm trying. I'm appointed to do so, and I'm trying my best. But I'm a human being, and human beings are indelibly infallible, or indelibly fallible. You know what I'm saying. Don't listen to any man, but listen to God. 
and to call you on it if wrong. Yes, confidence can also be misconstrued. Right. That's, that's what I was getting at. The COVID question was a good example, easy to speak of when watching it third party, legitimate question today, but that assumes you assume just because you were ill, right, right. If you saw my community comment, I did, and I appreciate you standing up for that. But yes, that's absolutely correct. I said it because I knew that I had COVID. It wasn't because I was guessing. <coughs> Fab Daddy says, I left and came back. I hear you, brother. I do like making Jake think. That's good. I like to think. That's what I tried to do today, coming in late. I really do try to shut up at times. And the only good way is to keep quiet completely. I don't want anybody to keep quiet. I just want you to hear what I'm teaching, you know. Um, but that's not what I meant by that statement. I was saying that's what God was saying to the Israelites at that moment. And I was using myself as an example to illustrate what he was doing. Again, may not have came out right. I'm not exactly on my A game tonight, but I'm here. I guess that's something. He makes me think. Well, I try, buddy. I do. And I hope that it's good, beneficial for you. I hope that's for everybody. If nothing else, I want to leave this world with the things I've been able to ascertain from delving into this Bible. Leave them with a little better understanding. So if they find my videos, they can come away with a little bit of certainty that they know a little bit more than they did when they got here. That's what I'm after. or at the very least, understand a little better than they did when they got here. They may already know it. I'm not the first person who's ever read the Bible. <laughs> I won't be the last, I'm sure. But I might be the first one that interprets quite the way that I do. I ain't never seen anybody else do it. Can you imagine doing any well-known show or anything like that today? I'd be spending each show explaining what I meant, the one before, until the mobs broke through. Yeah, that's kind of what's going on. I was tending to an alcoholic friend going sober for 15 days. Well, that's awesome. And congratulations and thank you for doing that. It's good to have a friend that can hold you up. And uh, an alcoholic going sober is a rough thing. I've seen it before. So God be with you and, and that person. And may that person find the strength to make it. If that's in fact what they want. Man, my mouth is so dry. I feel like I've been smoking weed. I got cotton mouth. His side aches. His side aches stopped. Has the shaking started yet? And because that'll come. Maybe even puking. Don't know. Depends on how severe it is. 
Good Lord. Good luck, Fab Daddy. Been there before and can't add anything. My friend made it through and thriving today, but would not have bet on it then. Right. It's a iffy thing. Andy's going stir-crazy and bored silly and probably really wants to put something in his mouth. That's part of it. It's part oral fixation. It's part addiction to sugar. And it's part mental, the uh, craving for the alcohol, the liver and the mind working in tandem to go against everything that's good for you. Alcoholism is not a pretty beast. I've seen it. My dad was an alcoholic big time. Like he literally started drinking from a bottle when he was a baby because his mother used to put liquor in his bottle to keep him quiet. And I don't think he's been sober a day since. So when he quit, it was a pretty sight. So you went and gamed with him? That's cool. Well, I'm glad you're there for your friend. All people need somebody to, to depend on, to lean on. And we may need that one day. So it's always good to give that because you can only hope that somebody will love you enough to do it for you when you need it. I have a friend that I take care of like that on a regular basis. And uh, I do it for that very reason. I've got my own issues, but very grateful I just don't drink. I hear you. Yeah, we all do our part. That's right. All right, boys and girls, we made it to the top of the hour. Thank you guys for hanging in there, putting up with my sick ass. I appreciate you more than you know. You mean something to me, and I hope you understand that. And uh, I hope I mean something to you, too. Have a great night. I love you guys. God bless you. I'll see you Wednesday. Hopefully I'll feel a whole lot better. We'll figure it out, though. Have a great night. Thanks for watching.